0: This is Cam Slater, and you're listening to Dirty Politics. Welcome to Dirty Politics, with me again is Simon Lusk, and tonight we're going to discuss something that I've been picking up in a bit of back chatter from the National Party Caucus and from other people associated with National and indeed a lot of my readers, and that's the fact that there's a thought that it might be better for National to lose this election and to go into opposition, and that they'll only be in opposition for three years. Simon, what do you think about that, and have you been picking that up as well?
1: I haven't really been picking it up, but I know it is being chatted about, um, and I just don't think it is. It's borne out by um, historic precedent. It's a long time since there's been a three-year government in, in New Zealand.
0: Yes, the last three-year government was the third Labour government from 1972 to 75, with Norm Kirk elected as Prime Minister. He subsequently died in uh, in with the year to go, and Bill Rowling took over, and then Labor's vote tanked after that. Uh, it's also, there's only been one other precedent that I can see since the 1900s of a one-term government, and that is the uh, second Labor government, uh, led by Walter Nash, and that uh, as far as I can tell, tanked mostly because of the black budget from Arnold Nordmeyer. So those are the two precedents that we've got of a one-term Labour government, both under first-past-the-post. Um, but it's, been got- fo- it's basically been 45 years since we've had a one-term government. Are you old enough to remember what happened in 75? No, not really. Um, Only from what we know in the history books. But the reality was uh, Labour came in with with Norm Kurt with huge hopes. Uh, He worked himself basically to death and then was replaced by a decidedly average leader with a squeaky voice. And that leader was up against basically a bull of a man in Robert Muldoon. And uh, he stormed to power in 1975 and stayed in power for three terms.
1: With the Dancing Cossack ad, which was a particularly, high, an absolute high point in New Zealand political um, uh, advertising.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think the ad is what tipped them over, although it was rather effective at the time. Uh, Reds Under the Beds was a, a real good. Our way to beat Labor about the head with a with a piece of four by two, but the reality was is that once Norm Kirk went, there there really was a very shallow talent pool that was left, and and it allowed Rob Muldoon with his forceful personality to to run over the top of them. I think the point that we're both making here is that it's rather silly, and I believe it's silly. Uh, for the National Caucus to be talking about, oh well, it's okay if we lose; we'll only be out for one term. Do you so think that's think a Do you think it's a rational thing, Simon, for them to be saying?
1: I, I think it is an extremely optimistic thing. Um, but you know, why do you think that the, the respectively, Na- Labour and National haven't been able to tip their opponents out after three years, Cam? I mean, it's been forty-five oh, forty-two years. Why haven't they been able to do it?
0: Well, we've had a change in the the way that we uh, elect our MPs. We've got MMP now. In 1984, once Muldoon was gone, he was just so awful and had left the country in such a bad state that voters were immune to anything that National could do in 1987 after one term of of Labour from 84 to 87. And they were prepared, even though there was a a significant amount of pain between 84 and 87, they were prepared to give Labour another go because they still couldn't countenance having to put up with Rob Muldoon or or any government that had ministers still in Parliament or ex-ministers still in Parliament um, that were associated with Muldoon. Uh, of course, since MMP, uh, we've had coalitions, and and you know, everyone thought, and Bill English included, when he decided to become the leader and in, in, in the two thousand two election, he thought that Labour, the two previous governments, apart from you know eighty four to, to nineteen ninety, uh, had been tipped out easily, and the and they thought arrogantly that they'd do the same. But this is where we get to the point where that that I want to make and the point that I want to discuss with you is the power of incumbency. And I don't think National in 2002 understood the power of incumbency. And as a result, Helen Clark uh, lasted three terms, even though she had numerous scandals, she had parties that were collapsing around her, but she was still able to cobble together a government.
1: Well, she was just a whole lot better than Bill English and and Bill really destroyed the National Party after um, he took it over. Well, this is the key point. When you lose and you go into opposition, there's a
0: number of things that happen. The first thing is is the donors stop giving you money. So while National is enjoying a lot of Chinese money, a lot of Indian money, significant business people uh, raising funds for them, that's because they still believe that National is going to be in government. But as soon as you go out... The those those two ethnic communities who have money instantly swap over to who the government is, and the phone that used to ring, you know, offering you money or having fundraisers or all that, it just stops ringing, and you you can call those people and they'll basically just hang up on you. So the first thing you lose when you lose government is that you lose you lose money. You also no longer have government resources available to you and Helen Clark famously stayed in power by basically using her ministries to fund party political broadcasts. There was bus shelter ads for work and income, there was health initiatives, uh, new police stations being opened, new hospitals being opened. This is the thing that you can do with incumbency. You can devote government resources to shoring up seats that you might lose or in areas where you really want to boost your party vote. the the last thing that happens when you go into opposition is that you lose all your top people, you lose all that brain's trust of the ones who were leading before. And then you have to rebuild and go through a rebuilding phase, which these days under MNP takes longer than three years. You can probably add some more to that, Simon, but... Well,
1: no, I think you pretty much covered it off. I think that uh, in 2008, John Key said... uh, When you're in opposition, it's like the All Blacks um, playing Romania and when you're Romania, you just don't have much of a chance Um, and it's very, very hard to win from opposition. Um, I don't think it's impossible um, but you do have to get some things set up right at the very, very beginning Um, and Bill English certainly didn't do that. Jenny Shipley didn't do that. Um, I, I don't remember what happened in, and, uh, sorry, in, in 1984 uh, with National. Um, I don't know um, that Labor have done any of the things that Helen Clark did around building a good... Team and um, a competent group of background uh, backroom people. I just don't see uh, that having ever happened in Labor. And, and for all the the euphoria around Jacinda at the moment, I think we both know they're, they're good backroom people aren't working for them anymore. Um, they have got Mike Munro back, but they you know they haven't had him for very long. And, and very hard to win a campaign on seven weeks um, when you haven't you've come in cold. Um, if National were to go into opposition, I think they'd need to take my um, polls professor, Bob Catley, uh, his advice, which is you, you've got to start out by getting a leader that New Zealand will listen to. Um, and I'm not sure that there's necessarily anyone in that national caucus that if uh, national are out of power, they'll pick the phone up when they call. Um, and and that's a pretty major point. Um, then they've got to have the funds to run a proper three-year campaign. And this is where huge problems are caused because the current regime will spend every cent they can to preserve their own power and leave the party bankrupt. Um, And that means that they start from a very, very low base. They don't have a lot of money to begin with. Um, That means that they can't spend the money doing the deep-seated research, Um, you know, the first six months of the term, Mm. doing all Mm. the focus groups and, you know, getting farer, on the job working out what the areas that will change people's votes and what group of people um are likely to change their vote in, in the upcoming uh, in the next election. If you don't have the money to do that research, you start taking guesses and using instincts.
0: Well, that's a, that's a key point there, actually, because it comes down to funding, and, and it's not just from the donors. Uh, there is the great big trough that political parties use, and you hear the Labor Party especially talking about state funding of political parties. They largely are state-funded, Especially when it comes to parliamentary services funding, um, uh, you know, a classic example of that is polling. Polling is paid for uh, both for uh, Curia and UMR out of parliamentary services budget, because what they do is they poll on issues, and they they find out what those those key uh, areas or those key issues are, and then they can uh, meld policy around around the results of that. But when you're in opposition, the leaders' budget is significantly reduced, and so is the parliamentary services' budget, because it's on a per-head basis. And so this is when I hear uh, relatively young backbench MPs and national who have never experienced opposition. And this this is a really key point. These people have never experienced opposition at all. They have no idea that the uh, worst day that you can have in government is still better than the absolute best day you have in opposition. And so they're making a judgment based on, oh, well, we'll only be out for three years without actually having experienced it. And I know that there's some senior hands in there that are sitting there talking to these backbenchers and saying, you you really don't want that. But the problem is, is Bill English is saying to them, look, we're not going to go with Winston we'll We'll just go into opposition, and everything will be okay. And they don't realize that it won't be okay.
1: Yeah, I, I think it can be okay. You've just got to be very, very professional and very disciplined and and without a strong leader um, to enforce that discipline um, and that professionalism, very unlikely that it'll happen. and you know I just can't see who the next strong, disciplined, popular leader of national is at the moment. Well, that's the other thing. They have to be
0: likeable. It's no use being a strong leader if you're not likeable. Uh, and you can be the uh, you know type of leader that Bill English is where he largely leads through fear and intimidation, uh, but he's just not likeable. He's not liked by very many people in his own caucus, and he's certainly not liked by a lot of people in, in the public. The only thing that's saving him right now, or or at least prior to Andrew Little caving in, is that the opposition are just so dreadful
1: and they may have actually left their run too late... Yeah, I think the other thing that's going in Bill English's favour is the New Zealand economy is very strong and most people aren't interested in politics because they've they've got decent jobs and, yes, there are a few problems, but there's not problems that really affect them too much and they're just not interested in politics. So, it, scarcely yeah. talk politics in Hawke's Bay at all because no one cares. They're well, just happy the, with how things are going.
0: Exactly, and the other thing is is that the opposition tends to over-egg issues. So, they talk about this massive housing issue that there's supposedly 57,000 homeless people in New Zealand it just doesn't bear any rational sense you know 57,000 homeless people takes up a lot of space where are these people I don't know anybody who knows anybody who knows someone who's what we would consider to be homeless
1: yeah, and, and, and even if it was, um, those numbers were big. It's not a vote-winning issue. It, it doesn't swing middle New Zealand. Middle New Zealand tends to think that they're home. They should get their shit together and and um, actually s- get a job and, and get on with life rather than bloody living in the streets. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. The, so the issues that they're making out are these huge issues that just aren't, and and we know that they're not because Labour's been banging on for at least the last three years and certainly the last nine about all of these game-changing issues, and not one of these things has changed the, the polls. Maybe Jacinda will, maybe she won't. But I think it's a little bit fatalistic of the National MPs to start talking about, oh, well, let's go into opposition for three years. Now, we've talked briefly about the, the lack of funds. What does that mean for you without having those funds in terms of policy and policy development?
1: well you can't do the underlying research so you end up with MPs making stuff up and the MPs are exceptionally busy in parliament and in their electorates so they don't have that much time so how the long does that
0: take simon how long does it take to develop uh, policy and do those things
1: uh, well, I, I think that you, you spend the first six months doing the basic research and then 12 months—sorry, uh, 18 months doing all the, the policy development and planning how to roll it out, how to implement it um, and fine-tuning it. You don't necessarily say a lot to the public about your policy until the, the year before the election and you just roll them out. But, you know, you don't need a lot of policy. They just need to be good ones. Now, I, I understand that um, in 2002, Bill English had 72 policies and they were writing new policies in the week before the election in the research unit. Um, when Don Brash came along, I think he had seven and he it was five key points and he had seven policies and that was it. Um, and John Key has followed a very similar approach. Well, the other
0: thing too about Don Brash and John Key is the first thing they did is didn't, re- didn't release any of those policies. They just opposed and opposed and opposed. But it comes to a certain point in the cycle where you have to propose uh, uh, alternatives. And we're only just seeing that from Labour, but it seems like the announcements that, that we've seen over the weekend have been really... Uh, what I call back of the coaster and the pub type um, announcements. You know, we are promising something is going to deliver for Auckland. If you please just vote for us. We haven't worked out the exact details, uh, but we will deliver maybe in 10 years, possibly in 20, but certainly before 30. Well, we're going to see three changes of government before the 10-year time comes up.
1: Well, I think that the other thing is that, that Jacinda has confirmed her reputation as a large uh, tax-increasing spender. Um, you know, her, her pitch to Auckland is, we'll give you railway, but we're going to charge you 10 cents a litre extra on every um, litre of petrol you buy. Um, that's, that kind of message will cut through all the euphoria about what a wonderful person Jacinda is. Um, and do you want to spend 10 cents a litre extra on petrol to fund Jacinda's railway?
0: Well, ironically, though, that will probably actually ease congestion because it's kind of a congestion tax. The uh, A lot of poor people will not be able to afford that tax, so we'll cut back on their travel, which frees up the motorway for people who are just going, oh, well, $0.10, cents, you know what? Petrol's been twice the price it is now, so we can cope with that. And so it doesn't really work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see whether... her complete lack of preparation to be leader ends up with her rolling out the kind of policies that were rolled out in the 2002 national campaign. And I think that it would be smart to uh, predict that Jacinda's going to try and increase taxes somewhere, and probably because she seems to go on about the most vulnerable in society, she'll increase the top tax bracket. Uh, which is n- not a particularly smart thing to do, but it's a dog whistle to her supporters. I don't know how that'll go over with Middle New Zealand and and that's uh, something we probably need to talk to Farah about.
0: Yeah, well, where is Middle New Zealand now? Because it's substantially higher than it was in 1999 when Helen Clark proposed increasing the top tax rate for people over 60,000. So, yeah, I I just don't think that Jacinda's thought that through and I don't think she's got that policy. But if we just come back to, you know, talking about the National Caucus and their thoughts that it'll be a one-term government, um, you know, we've touched on developing the policy that it takes perhaps 18 months to develop that policy and then in election year you start rolling those policy out. What do you do in the meantime though while you've got people like um, the, the EPSOM MP Paul Goldsmith who, who's a, the probably one of the perfect people to develop policy, you sit them in the back room, feed them pizzas, keep them in the dark room away from people but what do you do in the meantime to ensure that you can get back in after after one term?
1: Well, the first thing is fundraise, and the second thing is to form a very good team of background people who understand how to win elections. And the, the biggest tragedy for National going into opposition will be leaving, losing Stephen Joyce. And Joyce, although he's a bloody socialist who gives away a lot of corporate welfare, which we both hate, hmm. is an absolute master of campaigning and the best campaigner in New Zealand by a significant margin. But if, if he's no longer in government, he'll go and do something else. He's probably sick of politics by now um, and there's no one there to replace him. They haven't groomed anyone. Um, there's no one with the strategic sense that, that Joyce has. Um, so they've got to find someone there that, that is as good as him um, and that's going to be tricky. Um, then you know they, they have to oppose Labour um, in a sensible way, not the way Labour is opposed National which is John Key was evil or National's evil. It, it doesn't work no, um, you
0: have to nail the government
1: on competence and ethics, don't you yeah yeah and and you know there, there will be dodgy stuff done um, well, there always is yeah and and they will be incompetent, and labor are always incompetent um, and I just don't think that there's a um, a path for them not to be incompetent because they really don't have a lot of strength in that, that caucus. There's, there's some real muppets that are in senior positions.
0: Well, that's the problem that, that I keep seeing though is that National doesn't have those people. That, they haven't got a Lockwood Smith with an attention to detail. He, he's the gold standard for nailing ratbags because week after week in Parliament, month after month, year after year, he hammered Clark about Philip Field. Totally hammered him over and over and over again on ethics. Now, I don't believe for a minute that Materia Ture is being honest when she says that she won't put her name forward for being a minister. I don't believe that for a minute. They'll get elected, they'll come in, they'll form a government, and then she'll change her mind and Jacinda's got no choice but to appoint her a minister, otherwise they'll have a government that fails. So if she's there, who in national do they have that could sit there and bash away month after month, year after year on ethics and integrity and honesty, which Materia Touray has demonstrated she has none of?
1: Well, the only one that I can think of is Jamie Lee Ross, who stitched up Len Brown beautifully on the Almanacau Manukau uh, Council, and, and he spent two hours questioning him about his um, spending... Um, on his council <laughs> credit card and got to the point where um, uh, Len Brown started slapping himself in the face.
0: Well, I was there that night. It was quite quite um, amazing to watch, but uh, I I kind of know a couple of people who had a hand in writing those questions too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I, we've already mentioned Paul Goldsmith. I think he's got the kind of um, thick skin or lack of um, empathy with others to be able to absolutely forensically crucify someone if he chose to. There's one other. Um, there's one other.
0: The mm. guy that taught me everything I know about dirty politics.
1: Yeah, well you've got to think Scott Simpson's gonna play a major role in rebuilding National. He is a very, very cunning operator.
0: Well, you know, he's never met a sign he hasn't wanted to deface.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know that but but you look further down, there's there's not many people there that look like they're up for the fight. They're journeymen mostly and uh,
0: average in the thinking department, but there's no real low-rat low rat cunning. See, Labour has them in abundance. They've got yeah. stacks of people. I bet you between the two of us we could name 10 or 11 Labour MPs that are just up for a smacking.
1: If they're, oh, if and they're really good at it too. Well...
0: They they're good at it in a certain level in a sort of union bower boy type fashion, but nobody's ever got to the standard that that Lockwood Smith set uh, when he was hammering Philip Field.
1: Yeah, but he if if you watch that carefully, he was never nasty or malicious, no. or he was just forensic and reasonable, and and he just kept asking difficult questions, um, and that's why I think Paul Paul Goldsmith could do that because I think that he has. A, a high intellect um, and the ability just to shut out all the criticism and just get stuck in.
0: Well, that's the problem I've always seen with Labour when they go and do a hit job. They kind of shoot everything all at once and let off a big bomb and go, da-da, there's the, there, there's the sting. And you know John Key was able to just look them in the eye, lie like a flatfish, and laugh it off and... They never ever got him and I'm pretty sure if Labour had hired you or me or both of us that we could have nailed John Key several times.
1: Uh, Undoubtedly. Um, But yeah, obviously they didn't. And not only that, they have some very good operators. I mean, I would think that Phil Quinn could have done it in his sleep and they chose not to ask him to.
0: Well, and John Pagani's good at nailing people as well from the back room but he's gone to the private enterprise.
1: Yeah, both of those guys are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you you hear some of the war stories from some of the journalists that knew John Pagani. He was heavily involved in smacking up um, the Jenny Shipley government, and, you know, they, they just planned all sorts of things with the media to nail a national government and you got to admire that that's I, a
0: yeah, lot of time for John. Well I'm just waiting for Connor Roberts to um, raise his head again he's been busily keeping a low profile working in the private sector building a really good CV he's still young um, he hasn't taken the route of Michael Wood um, in being a sycophant to get into parliament he's carved out his own life, but I'm sure uh, that he will appear sometime in the next three to six years um, and end up in Parliament. Then National's got a real problem because that guy is real competent.
1: And same with James Spew's hair. I mean, James Spew's hair is a phenomenal operator. You wouldn't want to be fighting against him. You always want to find a job to keep him on site. Um, but he's now in the, in the private sector. They're, they're not using him.
0: Yeah, all their top operators are in the private sector. And, you know, it was pleasing for me to see that Jacinda hired Mike Munro back because I, I believe that Helen Clark's problems started in government when he left. Uh, because he doesn't he doesn't suffer sycophants the the thing is is that at the same time he was in the office of helen clark so was jacinda ardern and so was grant robertson and and hipkins so they know how he operates so uh the problem i see that jacinda's got is that um and grant is that they actually still enjoy the sycophancy so i'd be interested to see how Mike
1: Munro's going to slap that around yeah, and, and you know maybe they'd be able to persuade Heather Simpson to come and crack a few heads because when she cracked them, they stayed cracked.
0: Well, she didn't often have to crack the heads. She'd just sort of wag her finger and stare at them and it was the ultimate death stare. You know, it would curdle mother's milk.
1: Yeah, and you know she was a ph- phenomenal operator. If Jacinda could get her back, Labour would actually be a whole lot better off.
0: Mm. So it is possible that National could lose... Winston could decide to prop up the Labour government with the Greens' backing. Personally, I don't think that's a goer. Uh, But if they did lose, there's a a chance that it would only be for one term. But my gut feel is that incumbency is uh, very hard to overcome. Once you're out of power, it's very hard to get back in and you actually need a government to collapse in on itself in a rather drastic way so people say, yep, I'm going to change.
1: Yeah, although I think you can create that collapse. Um, I just don't know that National has got the, the right leader to lead them to that. And then I don't know that they'll give um, Scott Simpson the the key role in destroying Labour. And I don't think he'll be backed up by um, a, a team of very competent people in in uh, Paul Goldsmith and Jamie Lee Ross, who, who we're both pretty certain would be able to cause damage. They probably won't be allowed to.
0: In, in which case the scenario that the backbench is running that oh, it's okay we'll clear out all the old codgers like bill and nick and all and steve joyce and all of those people that are in jerry all the ones who are in their way and that, that it's better for their careers to lose because we'll only be out for three years is probably a forlorn hope and it's likely to be six years and and if they're really unlucky nine years
1: yeah yep yep I. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, history suggests that's much more likely to be the case.
0: Well, then they'd be better off campaigning very, very hard for the party vote. Oh, and being exceptionally nice to Winston. <laughs> 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 yes, well, exactly, because uh, if National sit get lands on about 42, where I, th- I think they're going to land, around there, I mean, still got seven weeks or so. Bill can stuff up pretty spectacularly when he does stuff up. Uh, we're yet to see if there is such a thing as a Jacinda effect and if it's long-lasting. But let's say they land on 42. Winston lands somewhere between 15 and 20. I don't think that's inconceivable that he'll land somewhere between 15 and 20. A two-party, that's a two-party government that has about 60% of the vote, or nearly, you know, well over 50 anyway.
1: Yep. That's a whole lot more
0: stable than a Labour-Green-Winston...
1: Um, oh, and government. but but it also creates a problem because it means that national might lose six or seven ministers that are replaced by New Zealand first ministers.
0: And those ministers will probably want to stab Bill.
1: Yeah, you would have thought so.
0: So blood on the floor.
1: Yep, lots of it.
0: Well, that's what we both like, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood so and guts. Yep, hopefully Jacinda has a really good election campaign.
0: Well, that's the one thing I was disappointed about with Winston. He stopped smoking, and I was hoping he was going to bring back smoke-filled rooms again.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, he'll probably change his mind after the election.
0: Yeah, blood and guts and smoke-filled rooms. I think politics was better served when that was around.
1: Yep, definitely.
0: All right, Simon, I think we've, uh, okay. we've answered uh, the question. Uh, we, the National Party backbench is somewhat deluded in thinking that they may only be out for three years. And uh, we'll just continue our podcast series. And thank you very much for coming on again.